Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. We're so glad that you're here today. Let me ask you this. Does anybody in here need God today? And I'm not asking that in a, in a preacherly Sunday school, children's sermon sort of way where everybody's automatically supposed to say yes. What I'm asking you is, do you feel like there's any place in your life where you need God? Or maybe it's the life of a family member, or maybe it's in some experience you've had recently. Maybe it's in our world. I mean, consider that, is there a place in your life where you need God? Is there somebody in your life that you know needs God and you want to talk to him about that? Is there a situation in the world, for example, like the war in Ukraine or in the aftermath of earthquakes in Turkey and Syria or in Mexico? Is there someone in your life, some place, some situation that you feel like needs God's attention and you wish somebody would talk to him about it. Does that represent anybody here today? I know it does for me. Not only in areas of my own life, but also as I think about the world. Well, today we're going to be talking about one of God's most precious gifts, the gift of prayer. And so if you would, look with me at Luke chapter 11 as we continue our series in Luke Beginning in the first verse, there are going to be some familiar things about this passage, but there are going to be some things that maybe strike your ear as new for the first time. But if you will look with me as we read together, Luke chapter 11, beginning in the first verse. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our, our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And then he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we know that this is Your Word, and we know that it is true and that it is given in love. So speak, Lord, for Your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. When I was recently on a trip to Israel with members of this congregation and beyond, one of the most moving places that we visited was the Western Wall, often known as the Wailing Wall. Now, the Western Wall is part of the foundation of the old temple of Jerusalem, built by Herod the Great. It was the only part of the temple left when the Romans sacked Jerusalem and burned the temple to the ground in 70 AD. For Jews all over the world, this last remainder of the temple has become one of, a, one of the symbols of Israel's faith and history. Jews and Christians from all over the world come to pray here, to laugh here, to confess their sins and sing God's praise here. They do it outside at the wall, but they also do it underground in the, in the tunnels, the excavation tunnels that go beneath this enormous structure. They pray silently. They pray out loud. They pray with words and with songs and with laments, and they even stuff little prayers written on little pieces of paper into the cracks. Now, why do the Jews keep coming to this wall? And if you think about it, it seems crazy. This, this ancient ruin is kind of a monument to defeat. There, right in front of you, is the evidence of the power of evil and the destruction that the world has to offer. It represents the power of armies and catapults and swords and fire. And this ancient monument has come to represent the suffering of the Jewish people from the Roman Empire to the Spanish Inquisition to the pogroms of Russia, even into the Holocaust. And yet, still they come. They keep coming to the wall on the outside, to the wall underground. Why do they keep coming to this place? Well, they come not because of the wall, but because they still believe in the God that built the wall. When the original temple was finished, God said this, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Why do they keep coming to the wall? They come to the wall because they still believe that God still hears their prayers. Does God really hear us when we pray? One day, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Lord, Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus accepted their request and he gave them a prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. Roman Catholics call it the Our Father. The version that we read today 
is not the same as the more familiar version that appears in Matthew's gospel. In that gospel, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was preaching to this huge crowd. But then at another time, the disciples came to Jesus privately in a much more intimate forum and asked him to teach them to pray. And what's cool is that Jesus taught them essentially the same thing that he taught the crowd. You know, I would teach you to pray the same way I would teach everyone to pray. There's no secret. There's no insider's way to pray. And the first thing we need to acknowledge then is that Jesus accepted their request to teach them to pray. What does that mean? It means that prayer is something that we can learn. There are not just certain people who can pray. There are not people who are better at it than others. Do you understand what I'm saying there? There are not people who are better at praying to God than others. To, to us or to, to, to God, it's all the cries of his children. And he's not going to prefer a more eloquent cry to a less eloquent cry. It's not just that some people have learned it better. It's not just that some people have the power. Jesus is saying whether you're an insider or an outsider, you can come to God. It can be studied. We can get better at it. We can become more comfortable and more practiced in it. But then Jesus gave them what we would call a model prayer. And here's what I mean by that. The Lord's Prayer is a perfect prayer in its own right, just as it is. But it's also a template. It's a pattern for how we can pray. And that's something that we need to explore in the future. But even though we could study this prayer itself for weeks, today I want to focus more on what Jesus says after the prayer, because this is the part that's a little harder to understand. I want to focus more on what's after the prayer than what's on the prayer, than focus on the prayer itself. Because what comes after the prayer is Jesus' invitation to pray. Listen to what Jesus says. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. This is Jesus' invitation to pray. Jesus wants us to pray, and he wants us to pray with confidence. But before we go any farther, I want to ask you some questions. When was the last time you prayed? I mean, really prayed. Not going through the motions, not going because it was a set time, not doing it because you felt like you were supposed to or because you were in a group or because you were hungry, but because you realized that you had nowhere else to turn, no one else could help you, you had nothing, le you had nothing left, and all you could do is pray. When was the last time you prayed like that? And here's my follow-up question. Why has it been so long? Why has it been so long? Why do we find it so difficult to pray? I suspect that there are a variety of reasons. Prayer takes time and we're busy. Prayer takes effort and we're lazy. Prayer takes patience and we want results now. Prayer requires trusting God. And you know what? I don't really trust anyone but myself. Prayer requires humility. 
And we don't want to admit that we have problems and that we need help. Prayer actually exposes what we really want and who we really are. And most of the time, we don't really want to look in that mirror, do we? We don't pray because we aren't sure that it works. A lot of times we don't pray because we aren't convinced that we need to. We don't pray because we want what we want. And if we open up a prayer to ask God to do what he wants, well, he might not give us what we want. We don't pray because we're not sure that God can or will change things. And we're really scared to pray because he might tell us that we're the thing, we're the one that needs to be changed. And we don't pray because we're scared that people will think that it's crazy. We're scared to pray because people will think it's weird. And you know what? Real prayer is weird. Do you know what that word weird means? It's an old Germanic word, and it simply means supernatural. Real prayer is weird. It's supernatural. Real real prayer brings us into the presence of the God who is really there. And when we are in the presence of God, sometimes it will calm us down. Sometimes it will expose us. Sometimes it will will encourage us. Sometimes it will scare us and overwhelm us. But prayer, real prayer, is weird because it brings us into the presence of God. Here's another challenge of prayer. Prayer takes all of those things that we say we believe and puts them on the line. It makes us put our relationship with God to the test. It's a gut check. Because when when you pray, what you're saying is, okay, God, I really do believe you're real, that you really exist, you're really there. And I am not, in fact, the center of the universe. When we pray, we're saying, God, I not only believe that you're real, but I need you. I can't do this alone. I can't do this by myself. I am not adequate for this challenge. And we don't like to admit that. But I need you. When we pray, we are telling God, Lord, I love you. And related to that, when we pray, we're telling God, we trust you. When you pray, you're saying, Lord, I trust you enough to expose my need to you. Lord, I can tell you whatever we need. I can tell you whatever makes me angry. I can tell you my frustrations, my deepest desires, my failures, my most guilty sins, and my most hidden secrets. I can tell you all of that. And trust that you still love me. Real prayer requires vulnerability. Here's the question. Do we really trust God enough to pray? Do we trust God enough to pray or are we scared that either he won't listen or he won't care or that we're going to bother him or something like that? 
Do we really believe that God listens to our prayers? We're kind of going through a drought right now, and it reminds me of an old preacher's story about this, this pastor who was pastoring in the Midwest during the Dust Bowl era of the 1930s. There hadn't been rain in months, maybe even years in this town, and the crops were, were all dried up, and farms were being foreclosed, and the wind was blowing that fine dust through every windowsill and every window pane and everything like that. And it was just, it was awful. The, the people were moving away. People were dying, people were sick, people lost everything. And finally, the pastor of this one town decided, we've got to bring all the Christians that are left in town and we have got to get together to pray. And so he called them all to his church and he said, we're gonna have a prayer meeting. He put the word out, we're gonna have a prayer meeting. They all came to his church and when they all showed up, actually the church was packed. Everybody who was left in town was packing the church. And, and as, he was, as he was about to pray, he got up to the pulpit, he was about to lead the congregation in prayer, and he stopped. And he looked at the congregation, and he said, before I start, I've just got to know, do you all really believe in the power of prayer? And everybody there said, oh yeah, pastor. He said, I mean, really, do you believe that if we pray for rain, God will actually send rain? Yes, of course we do, preacher, we believe that. Do you really believe that God listens to us and he hears our prayers and that he will end this drought and that he will send rain? Well, of course we believe that, Pastor. That's why we're here. And he said, then why is this little girl on the front row the only one who brought an umbrella? <laughs> when was the last time you prayed with an umbrella in your hand? That's what I mean. Do we trust God? This is a gut check. Do we really believe that God is inviting us, that Jesus is inviting us to pray? Jesus' answer when we ask, does God really hear our prayers, is yes. God really listens to our prayers. He really is God. He really is good. He really does get us, and he really does care. So everything after the Lord's prayer in this passage is Jesus saying that the Lord is not going to leave us hanging God has invited us to pray. Listen to what Jesus says. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's your father. He loves you and he is listening. I love it that in this passage, Jesus compares our prayers to the prayers to, to an annoying neighbor who comes over in the middle of the night to ask for a favor. You know, sometimes that's how we feel when we pray. You know, I don't want to bother God. I don't want to make him mad. I don't want to ask for too much. I don't want to, I don't want to bother him. I don't know what he's going to say. And so we don't pray. You know, I don't want to bother God with my problems. My issues aren't important enough for him to care. But what does Jesus say to that? Jesus says that we are to knock. And we're to knock with bold persistence. And when we do, God will answer. John Piper says that our problem is not that we ask too much, but that we expect too little from God. A friend of mine, Dr. David Singh, who's a pastor and a mission partner, 
said that part of the mission of the church is to pray like crazy. Now, what does that mean? It means that we're supposed to pray like anything and everything is possible to God. That there is no force or stronghold that can oppose him. That there's nothing that can separate us from his love. That he is alive. That death could not beat him. That time cannot forget him. That history cannot ignore him. That pop culture cannot uh, pervert him. That science and philosophy cannot outthink him. That injustice cannot escape him. That nature must obey him. That social media can't cancel him. And that we can never, ever, ever outsend the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We can never outsend the grace of God through Jesus Christ on the cross. In other words, to pray like crazy means that we are supposed to pray like we really believe this stuff. Like we really believe this stuff. This is your umbrella. Do we really believe this stuff? And here's the thing. Jesus is saying, God's not going to answer us because we are good prayers and we pray good prayers. He's not going to save us. He's not going to answer our prayers because we're even good people. Not He's not going to answer us because we deserve it or because we are powerful or rich or even because we're annoying. He listens to our prayers. He's going to answer our prayers because he's our father and he loves us. You know, that's the difficult thing about prayer. We know we hear this promise and yet we are in that in-between time with so many prayers where those prayers are asked and when they are answered. Do we have the faith, do we have the trust to wait? Do we have the, the, the patience, do we have the hope to wait between the ask and the answer? When we pray, Tim Keller suggests that we put ourselves in the right frame of mind of prayer by thinking about to whom we are really praying. Keller writes this. He says, before you pray, say to yourself, God is here within these walls, before me, behind me, on my right hand, on my left hand. He who fills immensity has come down here to me. I am now about to bow at his feet and speak to him. I may pour forth my desires before him, and not one syllable from my lips shall escape his ear. I may speak with him as I may speak to the dearest friend I have on earth. Not because we deserve it, not because we're good prayers, but because he loves us and Jesus promised that God will hear our prayers. Why do they keep coming to the wall? They don't come to the wall because of the wall. They come because they still believe in the God who built the wall. 
Why do we keep praying? Because we still believe in the God who answers prayer. They come to the wall because they remember that God made a promise to hear their prayers and they still believe that God hears their prayers. Prayer is not a sacrament, but it is sacramental. What that means is that it's something tangible that points to something spiritual. Because prayer is the way that we take hold of the God who takes hold of us. The people of Israel keep coming to the wall for the same reason that we keep coming to this table. We come because we need something tangible. We need some reassurance. We need something between the ask and the answer that reminds us that God is real. As real as that wall. As real as the bread and the cup. We need something that reminds us that our God is the God who keeps his promises. And he has proven his love through his own body and his own blood through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins and for the resurrection of eternal life. We believe and we trust him because he has proven that just as I gave my son for your sins, I do hear your prayers. And so just like the wall, this table is a tangible reminder that the promises of God are real. And more importantly, that the God behind the promises are real. And therefore, when Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you, believe it. He's given his own body and his own blood to prove it. Beloved, this, this is our umbrella his word, this table, his truth is our reminder that our God is the God who keeps his promises and that we can trust him, that we have his ear and that we need him. We come to this table because on the night before he was to be crucified, Jesus knew that his disciples would be afraid. He knew that they would feel as though all the world, all the plans, all of their hopes had failed. And he wanted to point out to them that God had promised life beyond the cross and life beyond their challenges. And he said that throughout time, whenever my people gather, they shall come to this table to receive a tangible reminder not only that the body and blood of Jesus Christ were spilled for you but that the promises of God were real not just for them but for you as well. And so we come to this table today for the same reason that the people of Israel Keep going to the wall because we believe that our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. 
And though we wait, he will not fail. And so, Jesus calls us to his table. Not because we're worthy, but because we are forgiven. We are invited not because we are righteous, but because we are loved. We don't come to fulfill an obligation or to check a box. We come to receive a gift and to acknowledge a promise. And so Jesus, before all time, said to his disciples, come to this table, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so he invites all those who are his disciples who trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, who walk as his disciples to come to this table and know that they are loved. This bread, this cup are a sign and seal, a sign pointing to the truth of God and a seal that binds us to his covenant. Even though Jesus Christ is bodily with the Father. We are in his presence by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't understand it, but we believe it. And so we come to this table knowing that our God is real, that he keeps his promises, that we have his ear, and that he has proven it by his own death and resurrection. Let us pray. Your love sets this table here, Lord. We know that. There is nowhere else in the whole world where we feel it as we feel it here. For it is here at the table that you say to us, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. We taste the bread. We drink the cup. We feel new life, your life, pulsing into our own. The dark places of our souls are brought to light. The emptiness and the failures are dismissed. We eat and drink your forgiving love. We are brought together in love and fellowship. Our hope is reborn. Lord, when we pray, we do believe you hear our prayer. But even more, we believe you are real, that you love us. And that when you hear our prayers, as Ron Skates says, your hand moves. So God of grace, we pray for those people whose hope is fading today. We pray for people in the war between Russia and Ukraine, whose homes and lives and families have been destroyed. We pray for people in Turkey and Syria and Mexico, Mexico who are recovering from Earthquakes. We pray for people who are mourning the loss of a loved one. Pray for people who are hungry or homeless. We pray for people who are lonely or sick. It is your table, Lord. It is a table of love. Help us to eat and drink worthily by acknowledging our unworthiness. O God of grace, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and this cup that our sharing of the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let this bread and this juice 
be a feast for our souls, renewing, restoring, rebuilding, rekindling, remaking us in your image, the image of love. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.